0: Well, good morning and uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is James, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I lead the Cotton site and I, uh, along with Sarah, my wife, we've been part of this church for 13 years or so and we love being in Bristol, we love being part of this church family and uh, I'm continuing our series which we've called Be Real Uh, where we are looking at the humanity of Jesus. And by that, what we mean is that from the moment that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary, God had taken on human form. We read about it at the beginning of John's Gospel, uh, that the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we call that the incarnation in which Jesus was both fully human and fully God. And so for that to be true, it wasn't that God just appeared on earth and put human skin on like it was a a fancy dress party, nor is it that Jesus had a human mode for some things and God mode for others. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, laying aside his divinity, which you sometimes hear people say, Jesus, in fact, in addition to his fully divine nature, took up a fully human nature as well. And so in doing that, he received the limitations and experienced the limitations of the human condition. But also through His humanity, and and this is important, through Christ's humanity he is able to identify with our experiences and we also therefore identify with him too. There is this union between our experiences which runs much deeper than just going through something similar to someone else. No God rather than keeping his distance from his creation, drew near and took on human flesh and walked through life as we do. It is utterly unique in all the world religions. It is exquisite in all of its ways. It is deep and mysterious and yet intimate and close. God became human. And the question that you might ask is, well, why? And, uh, uh, and, and and what does that mean for us? And so last week we saw that Jesus became tired and that true rest can only be found in coming to him and receiving from him and today we're, we're looking at the second uh, part of this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus's experience of grief and so if you have a Bible with you, do turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you then words will appear on the screen or you can uh, download the Bible app on your phone and you can check John 11 out there. So we're gonna read John 11 uh, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are they not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This chapter of the Bible is perhaps one of the strangest that you could read. If you're familiar with the account, then it's easy, like anything, to miss the peculiarities of what is happening. We don't have time to get into every detail, but let me just acknowledge some of the strange things that have happened. It's, it's strange, isn't it, that Jesus, on hearing that the friend that he loves is ill, doesn't go to him straight away, but stays where he is for two days. It's strange that when Jesus meets Lazarus's sister, who are obviously distraught, he doesn't say what he knows he's going to then go on to do. It's strange that when Jesus meets the first sister, Martha, he makes this declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he gives a different response to Mary. It's strange that Jesus is deeply moved. It's strange that Jesus cries. It's strange that Lazarus has been dead for four days. It's strange that Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And he does. Let's be clear, this chapter is strange. uh, But let me also tell you this. I want to suggest to you that this is also the most compelling chapter in the Bible for believing in Jesus Christ. You, you won't find a more compelling chapter in all of the Bible than this one if you are considering whether to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Why, why is that? Why do I say that? Well, because in this chapter we see two aspects of Jesus that change the game as we live our lives today. And the first is this, that Jesus identifies with our grief. our suffering. For many people, you know, removing God from the equation of grief and suffering offers some kind of relief. Some will say there is no meaning, there's no reason, there is no hope, so why waste your time expecting a higher power to help or care for you? Other people anchor themselves on humanism Believing in the human spirit and a capacity for progress, creativity and love without any need for God. And yet, both those beliefs reveal a problem. You see, if there is no good or evil, why do we lament? If our sympathy for others is just a product of evolution, why do we care about the suffering of people in other tribes, in other nations? if what we feel is meaningless then not only is God a delusion but we ourselves are a delusion too. So can you see that removing meaning from the equation of suffering doesn't offer relief at all? So what what is the alternative that we find here in this passage? Well in in this chapter we see the complexities of grief on full display. We see the grief of Lazarus's sisters first. They had called for Jesus to come when Lazarus was still alive and to make him well and yet in verse 6 we see that Jesus had chosen to stay two days longer where he was. And when Jesus finally came, Martha and Mary both came to him separately but with the same statement. It, It's almost like they had talked about what they would say to Jesus before he'd arrived. They say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. These women had been plunged into the depths of despair because their brother had died, and with the knowledge that Jesus could have come, and that if Jesus had come, their brother would still be alive. And yet he didn't. The grief that these sisters were experiencing was the loss of their brother, but also the absence of their Lord. Where were you, God? Why have you let this happen? What could you possibly be doing that is more important than this? This is your fault. You know, we, we learned something about lament from these two women as they bring their anger, their confusion, their disappointment, their sadness to Jesus. And it's in response to Mary that we see Jesus' own emotions and grief emerge. In verse 33 it says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And when he asked, where have you laid him, and they said, come and see, Jesus wept. As he saw the tomb, as he saw the grave in which his close friend had been buried, Jesus wept. It's a bit of a confusing scenario, isn't it? Because we know, and Mary and Martha know, that all these tears could have been spared. Even the bystanders are a little bit baffled. Some say, see how he loved them, and others are like, yes, but but he could have kept Lazarus from dying. Faced with the reality that his friend had died, Jesus was filled with grief. You see, even though Jesus knew what he was going to do, and he'd even said it to his disciples, hadn't he, that he was going to wake Lazarus up. And yet, in the moment, Jesus' soul was grieved by the death of his friend. He was deeply moved. He was filled with sorrow. And the tears flowed. Some of you uh, will know that uh, the last couple of months uh, have particularly been challenging uh, for me and uh, my family. As we've been walking through grief together, Uh, At the end of February we received the devastating news that a dear, dear friend of ours uh, who we grew up with went through school, church, family holidays, Christmases, weddings, we became fathers at similar times. Uh, Well he died by suicide uh, with very little warning signs. And uh, it's hard to put into words the shock Uh, the denial, uh, the kind of spontaneous crying, uh, the days where you don't feel like seeing anyone the sleepless nights, the anger, the sadness, even the physical toll Uh, the days after I received the news my body physically ached as if I would run a 10K and trust me I I don't run 10K's Uh, it has been grim It has been dark at times, Uh, going through things in your head over and over again. And having attempted to try and do normal things in the week that we got the news, I realised I wasn't coping and I needed to stop. And uh, I've been so grateful to our staff team, uh, our connect group, a number of people in our church who have been aware of what's going on and who have really showed up at this difficult time. It's actually been quite strange to be cared for when so much of my role is doing doing that for other people and so taking time out and allowing people to show us love has been humbling for me particularly. However without a doubt the thing that has carried me through has been the knowledge that Jesus has been holding me, that he grieves with me, that he is enraged with me about the cruelty of suicide. Isaiah 40, which keeps coming up, doesn't it, uh, over the last few weeks, um, it was a a reading that was read at Josh's funeral just this Tuesday. And uh, in Isaiah 40 it says this, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Friends, Jesus holds us close to his heart in our grief and in our suffering. His tears flow with ours. And that is the first aspect of Jesus that we see, that he identifies with our grief and our suffering. He draws us close. He comforts us. And he comforts us in a way that no one else can. He experienced grief. The second aspect that makes this chapter so compelling in terms of being a follower of Jesus is the fact that that Jesus didn't just weep. Jesus didn't just weep, we, we actually see another emotion come from Jesus and it's in verses 33 and in 38. In our English translations it says that Jesus was deeply moved at the tears of Mary and again deeply moved at the sight of the grave in which his friend Lazarus was buried. Deeply moved, it's a pretty tame translation of what that really means in the original Greek, which is that Jesus was enraged. Jesus was enraged. Enraged, it means to roar. It means to storm in anger. When when Jesus was faced with his friend's death, he roared. He stormed with anger. Why? For the very same reason that he wept, because death is our enemy. Now for those of you who perhaps don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, let me just tell you a, a little bit about the Christian worldview. Uh, and this is one place where, you know, where we are a little bit weird. Uh, the Christian worldview says that death is unnatural. We, as followers of Jesus, believe that it's not how the world was meant to be. Death feels like the enemy to every single one of us because it is. Death in every form. It doesn't matter if it's an 82-year-old woman falling asleep and not waking up in the morning. It doesn't matter whether it's death by suicide or a tragic mass shooting that takes lives too young. Death is the enemy, and it is unnatural. We're told in the Bible that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. But don't don't skip over that first part to quickly get to the second. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And what that means is, is that sin which is any failure to reflect the image of God in our nature, our attitude, our actions, well, it leads to death. And our world is steeped in this, isn't it? Our world is steeped in sin, the evil of sin. And and when our world is steeped in sin, our world is then also steeped in death. And this has been the way since the beginning. Yeah, Adam and Eve, the first humans on earth who themselves turned away from God, well, they had a, two sons and uh, their son Cain murdered their other son Abel. And ever since, death has had a stranglehold on humanity. Let's admit it. Death is the strongest predator on the face of the earth. Death relentlessly tracks us down, it catches and wrestles wrestles us down to the grave and, and that is what is happening all around us. And as Christians we believe that this is happening because of sin. That the same sin that has infected the world, well it infects us too. And that should cause us to weep. That should cause us to roar with anger because death is our enemy. You see what We find here is Jesus standing in the middle of death. It's what he said to Martha. He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that, friends, is my question today. Do you believe this? You see, we will all come face to face with death. But what do you believe about life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ really is the resurrection? That Jesus conquered death by raising himself from the dead? And that he can raise you to eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus is the life in the midst of all sorts of Death? Do you believe that Jesus is your life? That, that is the question for us today. You know, Jesus—he uses the word belief eight times in John chapter eleven. It—it's really the core message of this chapter. You know, Jesus before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Look at his prayer. He thanked God that. They would see the miracle of God and the glory of God so that people there would believe in him. And then Jesus said to the men, roll the stone away. And he calls Lazarus out and Lazarus comes out with his grave clothes on. And what they didn't realise is that they were witnessing a foreshadowing of what was to come, and, and um, an appetiser of, of the main meal. Because for Jesus to become the resurrection and the life, for Jesus to offer eternal life, it, it couldn't end right there with Lazarus. Jesus would have to face death himself. He would have to be buried, he would have to uh, have a stone rolled in front of his tomb. He would have to be wrapped in the burial clothes so that he would then raise himself up from death. And that is how Jesus, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, said he defeated and one day would abolish our final enemy, death. And that means that for those of us who believe in him, we will one day Be raised with him. So where do we go from here? Well, the first, I think, is to give yourself permission to feel what you feel. That in the face of suffering and pain and loss and grief, to feel all those emotions, to let those emotions go right down and to come out. Anger, sadness, numbness, I encourage you to feel those emotions like Jesus. You know the end of the story, but in the moment Jesus wept, he was angry. Allow yourself to feel what you feel and allow others to feel things that perhaps you don't feel. Allow others the space to do that too. And then as you feel those emotions, remember that Jesus understands how you feel. We don't worship a detached God. We worship a God who stepped into our pain and our sorrows, who is acquainted with our grief. Feel what you feel. And just like Mary and Martha did, bring them to Jesus. I want to just uh, point you to a service of Lament that we're holding at the Elm Grove Centre on the 21st of May. That would be a great opportunity to come and express your emotions to God. That's the first thing, allow yourself to feel. The second thing is this. If if you're not a Christian here today, the encouragement is to believe. The call, in fact, is for you to believe in Jesus. That if you are sitting here today and you are grieving, your grief points to a greater reality. And you can receive the gift of God today. Jesus is the only one who has triumphed over death and can offer you eternal life. Jesus fully defeated death on the cross, scorning its shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and he offers you resurrection. I want to encourage you to receive that gift today. I want to just finish by uh, reading Uh, a verse from a song, Uh, it's a song that uh, me and my siblings sang at Josh's funeral on Tuesday and it speaks of this eternal hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, It says this, There is a hope that lifts my weary head, a consolation strong against despair, that when the world has plunged me in its deepest pit, I find the Saviour there. Through present sufferings, future's fear, he whispers courage in my ear. For I am safe in everlasting arms and they will lead me home. Amen.